All right, so everyone, actually, you can be the first today to uh, come right down here into the front. We're going to do a kid's sermon real quick. All those of you who have a, a, a child here, you can stay where you are if you want, but we invite all the children forward for a children's sermon just for about five minutes. You can just circle up right around here. Um, and adults, it's for you too. I'm only speaking to them. They hear me speaking to adults, like Ray said, with words like cosmos all the time. You can listen to me speak to them today, and then we'll move on to a word for everybody else. Wow, okay. Well, let me do this. I'll come right down in front of you. All right. We are going to start with a few questions this morning. This is a pretty easy question, but I need you all to not scream, which you're actually pretty good at doing. You're good at not screaming out an answer. Um, but I can't, and I can't call on everyone, so I'm going to look for people who think about an answer and then raise your hand first. Some of you like to raise your hand before you think about an answer. Just fine, I do that sometimes too, but it's not a contest. Think about this and then raise your hand. What are, what do you think are the most important things in life? Think about it now, think about it. I think I saw, did I see Mila's hand go up? Or, or, okay, I think I saw Maisie's hand. Maisie, what to you are some of the most important things in life? God and Jesus. Okay, Levi, what do you think? What are some of the most important things in life? What's that? That's fine. You don't have to talk. That's fine. It's good to have you, though. Evan. The church, faith, and existence. Okay, these are some really holy answers. I wonder if there are some others, though, that seem a little bit less holy, no offense, seem a little less holy, but are just as true. Graham, then Titus. Graham, what do you got? Uh, food and water. Food and water. Okay, Titus, what do you got? Volcanoes. We can't live without them. And why, Titus? Okay, so for the fertility of the earth, yes, they also create pumice stones, which I used on my feet this morning. Too much information, it's fine, just being honest. Um, also, tectonic plates, you know. True, yeah, thanks, Bowden. Um, what do you think? Air. Isaac says air. Okay, how about we take two more? Georgia. People. Bowden. Elements of the periodic table. I love these answers, and you all can all come up afterwards and give me more answers. I'm sorry I didn't get to you, Annabelle. I'm sorry I didn't get to everybody. But listen, okay, great job. Now I need you to listen for a minute, okay? I am gonna ask you more questions, and so you might miss them if you're not listening really closely. You're doing a great job. Did you notice that some of you gave answers that are material, like things you can touch, like food and water, like volcanoes, like people, and some of you said things that you can't touch. Who said some things that you can't touch? Air. Maisie said God. Evan said existence and the faith and the church, which you kind of can touch and not, you know. Hold on, hold, hold on right there. I got another one. You can be the first to answer it, Graham. Here's what I want to draw out and point out to you. Some of the main things in life, listen closely now, 
some of the main things in life you cannot touch. Did you ever think about this? Last week, the grown-ups in this room looked at a verse from the book of Genesis that described how the first man was created. Does anyone know that passage? How was Adam created? Somebody who I haven't called on yet. Hey, Norris, what do you think? Dirt, okay, dust, and what else? This is very important. Norris is absolutely right, hold on Isaac. Dust and what else? The breath of life. Now listen to this. Listen to this. This is for you too, grown-ups. Every human being is made of both material and immaterial. Second chapter of the Bible says so. Dust, the stuff of the earth. The breath of God, the stuff of heaven. Every human being is made of heaven and earth mixed together. Material and immaterial. Visible and and invisible, and if you don't have both, you're not a human being. And did you know this? Both last forever. Both last forever. Even on the far off day when, Charles, when we die, our spirit is still with God. God never loses us. He never lets go. Not even death can keep us from him. But even when our bodies go into the ground, some of you who just came into the church studied this year, our bodies will rise again, will be raised again to rejoin our spirits. You are material and immaterial. You are made of the stuff of the earth and the stuff of heaven, and that is amazing. And we've been talking about a lot of that in the book of Genesis, and we're going to talk about a little more of it today. And here's what I want you to do now as you go back to your grown-ups, okay? This is just the first part of the sermon, and for the next 15 minutes or so, I want you all to really try to listen. It's okay if you're a little squirmy. It's not going to be that, that easy. But I know you can do it. And if you do, you'll probably learn something or at least have a good question to ask your grown-ups. So who's going to try to listen closely? Everybody? Okay, I appreciate the honesty on both sides of that question. Um, let's get up now and go back to our grown-ups. And grown-ups, to help them sit, why don't you stand, because we're going to read the Word of God together. This is Genesis 2, verses 18 to the end, verses 18 to 25. Um, there are some verses from Revelation in the bulletin today as well, but I'll let you think about why those are there. I'm not going to speak to them today. This is just Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. Hear these words from the book that we love. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is 
bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've been with us, uh, book of Genesis in chapter 1, where we were for a good month, um, six times something's created and God says, that's good. That's good. That's good. He keeps creating. He sees it morning and evening after each day, says, that's good. And at the end of the sixth day, says, that's very good. Now, if you were reading along just now, in verse 18 of Genesis 2, for the first time, and remember, this is before sin has entered into the world. This is before evil takes root. It says something is not good. And that's, that's a marker. Verse 18, let me read it again. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Then something really interesting happens. Okay, something's not good, and it's this situation of aloneness. And this isn't just speaking to, like, spouses and marriage and pairing up and starting individual nuclear families. This is talking about community as well. Aloneness is not what we're for. Whether you're in a church community or in the first church, which was a family. Aloneness isn't what we're for. It's not good. And then something fascinating happens. God brings into the garden every animal that's created, according to the narrative. So they all pass by um, this Adam, which is just the Hebrew word for man, by the way. They all pass through Adam, and they pass by him. And it's really interesting. Um, it's like Adam's looking at them all. And, you know, as the verses go along, verses 19 and 20 says, there's no helper for me. So verse 18, God sees the problem, then brings all the animals, and then Adam recognizes the problem. It's actually kind of a question of what's going on here. Is it like a trial and error process? Like God brings a dumb, a hippo. It's like, well, that, that's not going to work. And then a bumblebee. Well, that's not going to work. It's not trial and error. It seems like as this first man is looking at the glory of God's creation and uh, the capacity to create communities within each of those animal species, this kind of sadness comes upon him. And he said, I have no community. I have no, as the text leads us to understand, other half. I'm missing completeness. And there's something about, and this is, this is the first time, it is certainly not the last time, that God, the way he sometimes works is he like brings us along in our understanding, our understanding of what's missing. God doesn't just tell, he shows. He doesn't just preach. He walks with. It's like Adam turns to him and says, I'm lost. I'm here. I'm lost. And so... He says, there's no helper fit for me. End of verse 20. Helper fit. Um, you actually need those two words together. 
Okay, Adam needs a helper. What kind of helper? Like an employee? Like he needs somebody just to help out with a few things that he doesn't really want to do? Somebody to boss around? Helper fit, fit is a very important word. And uh, most translations do use the word helper in their translations. A lot of them have fun with how to figure out how to translate fit from the Hebrew. It literally means one facing. It literally means someone who stands opposite me, who fits me. I'm looking for my fit. Yes, helper fit, but I, th I think you would actually struggle to find many places in Scripture when you take these words together in both places, both in verse 18 and in verse 19, they're put together quite intentionally. I think you'd struggle to find another passage in Scripture that more strongly affirms the equality between men and women. One who stands opposite me. One who stands opposite. And the word helper, it's been very commonly noted by scholars and pastors over, over millennia now that that is a word that is frequently used in the Old Testament to refer to God himself. God is our ezer, is the Hebrew word, our helper. The one who completes. The one without whom I can't make it. That's this ezer, fit woman. And so God makes Woman, Listen, if you've been with us uh, for a few weeks now, you know how much we've been talking about the sameness between men and women. Both are made in the image of God, which means many things. It means that we reflect him to the world. We represent him to the world as worshipers. Um, we are dominion holders in the world, like he is for the whole cosmos. Sorry, Ray Hagen, it means universe. We are for the planet, for all the planet-facing and even heavenly-facing creatures, the angels. We represent the presence of God on earth without ever for a moment being him or taking his place. All this is sameness. Both are made from dust and the breath of God. Adam first and then derivatively, you know, as woman is created, there is this sameness of our condition, of the stuff we're made of. But you know, the scriptures also, do, they do, beginning here, talk about important differences. And sometimes these are overemphasized in ways that are clunky and do harm, but there is an opposing problem of acting like the scriptures say nothing, nothing at all about glorious and original differences between men and women. And we're not going to try to get around that. We are going to try to acknowledge wherever there's mystery and not be heavy-handed. But the goal is faithfulness. And let me just tell you one way that in the last few months, to me, this has seemed really important, particularly within the church. So back in March, uh, a lot of you know about the story where the, our, our newest Supreme Court justice, Katanji Brown-Jackson, during the uh, Senate confirmation hearings, was questioned by uh, a senator who had many charged motives, I think, uh, culture war motives, political motives, um, and, and maybe some well-meant motives as well. And she asked our next Supreme Court Justice, what is a woman? Can you tell us what a woman is? And Ketanji Brown Jackson said, no, I can't. 
and after some more questioning, um, said, because I'm not a biologist, I can't. Now, in defense of her for a second, because she was actually immediately harassed, mostly by people in the conservative right, in defense of her for a moment, she's standing there, sitting there, she's sitting there, uh, responding to questions about her qualifications as a judge. And I don't know if it's ever gonna be a judge's job to rule on what a man is or what a woman is, but what a woman is. But if they ever are, they would probably bring in some biologists to help answer that question, or psychologists, or others. So as a judge, for all I know, maybe that was an adequate answer. But didn't it also strike at the heart of like our world right now? It's like, is there anything we can say with confidence about how men and women are distinct? And the scriptures say yes. And they're not, they're not just things we should talk about, they're things we get to talk about. And if we don't, we are failing to acknowledge the glory of God. It's not a small thing. And we get to talk about it in the church. And I'm not going to say everything, and I cannot tell you shouldn't try to tell you everything that a woman and a man are, but we get to talk about a few things, and they're amazing. They're amazing. So, here are just a few. Kids, we talked today about some material and immaterial stuff, and I'm going to start with some material things that are described both in Scripture and are obvious. Women and men's bodies are created differently. Obvious? Yes. And somehow difficult to talk about. Isn't that strange? Women and men's bodies are created differently to reproduce life for the human race. But that's not all. Women and men have other physical differences. Women and men have different bone structures. Women generally go through puberty and stop growing sooner than men, which has been observed across cultures. Women and men generally see and hear and remember and emote and perceive in gloriously different ways. And I won't go on. It's not just because I'm not a biologist, but I won't go on because you know these things. These things describe just some of the glory and uniqueness of men and women in the material biological sense. By the way, beginning from the zygote forward, from the moment we are a single-celled eukaryote cell forward. But there is a lot more to women and men than that, right? There's way more than our biology that makes us gloriously different. We are more than our material bodies. And in a number of places, and this isn't the only place, we're going to see this again in Genesis 3. In Genesis 2 and 3, we see some of these differences. And this is where we begin. So I want to point out in verses 21 and 22, just a few of the initial differences between men and women. And they're not given as like speeches or sermons. They're given as a story. So here's the story. Verse 21 through 23. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. 
and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Just two things I'm gonna point out briefly. The manner of the creation of woman and the order of the creation of woman. It might not be what you think as you read it initially. First, the manner. Where is woman taken from? The rib. It is a strange word in Hebrew, but across your English translations, it's universally translated as rib. What does a rib do? It guards the heart. It guards the heart of man. This was really pointed out by the early church fathers and mothers. This is a place of dignity. Kids, I don't know if they still do this, but I don't know if we should, frankly. Uh, we used to, when I was growing up in school, put our hand over, over our heart when we said the Pledge of Allegiance. Do you still do that? Why don't you put your hand over your face? Why? Well, the face is important. Your, your, your forehead. Why don't we go like this? I pledge allegiance to the flesh. Why don't we do this? Why? Because every bit of life pumps from this place to everywhere else in the body. It is the place of utmost dignity and life. There is no life without it. And the ribcage protects it. It's the place of utter dignity. The manner matters. And then the order. Woman is created second. Man is created first. You know, the New Testament writers looked at this a lot. There's a lot of New Testament passages. And I'll give you this much right away in case you're wondering. Being created second is not a sign of inferiority. It's not. Actually, the New Testament makes that incredibly clear, but they don't ignore it. They say it's actually really important, but it's not a sign of inferiority. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, you can think of man as, particularly within covenant relationships, like the family and the church. Man as the head of the woman in those relationships in the sense of like a protective covering. But he says, woman is the glory of man. And he goes on to say, like, okay, woman came from man, but now all men come from women. So it's like, this equality is being circled, but also the significance, like there's these men out front, but the women are the glory. Why does he say that? What is glory? Whatever else glory is, it's, it's good. You can't look away from it. You treasure it above all. You are amazed by it. You adore it. You're in awe of glory. So let me try to summarize this way, folks. Man and woman are not confined to these things alone. And not all differences between men and women can be crisply and cleanly divided up. Shouldn't try. But distinctions exist. And it seems like this is where Genesis 2 takes us. Woman is man's equal and is uniquely his glory. She is the helper that completes and uniquely the giver of life. 
That's woman. Man is woman's equal and uniquely offers, particularly in the home and the church, covenant relationships now. He offers a protective covering or head and a guard over her, over his glory. Let me end like this, folks. Um, Maybe the most significant interpretation of these verses in the whole New Testament is at the end of Ephesians 5, where the Apostle Paul looks at verse 24. Let me read that again, verse 24 at the end. Therefore, because of all this, because of this story that's being commended to us, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know what the Apostle Paul says about this verse? He says whenever you read this verse, you have to think about Jesus or you miss it completely. Whenever you think about it, and he's talking about particularly in the context of marriage here, whenever you think about a husband cleaving or clinging to a wife, it should immediately remind you of Jesus Christ. That's what the New Testament scriptures say. How do we see Jesus in Genesis 2? Well, Again, when you look at marriage, wow, that looks just like Jesus. How? Well, what does Jesus do for us? He leaves one family of sorts, God the Father. He takes on flesh and in this way says, I cling to the human race in such a way that I will never be separated from it. Kids, did you know Jesus Christ didn't just take on a body to go to the cross and lay down his life as a sacrifice and rise again? He'll never lose his human nature. Now, into eternity, he is God and man together. He clings to us in a way that will never be separated. And those who look to him, it doesn't matter what we do or how much we leave him, he doesn't leave us. He clings and he doesn't let go. And that's our whole hope of salvation. The Apostle Paul is saying, from the very beginning at the creation of man and woman, at the first family and the first marriage, he's trying to tell us something about how God created us to be loved by him. And you better believe it cost him. You better believe it cost him comfort, it cost him respect and reputation, it cost him his human life, it cost him all of his blood, and it was completely worth it. You know, one of the things I say, and I said it most recently, one week ago, at the wedding of Victor and Esther, I give the same vows to both the husband and the wife, because they both hold. In light of Jesus Christ clinging to humanity in such a way that he will never get let go, I say to the husband first, I say, Victor, most recently, I want you to love this woman graciously, though it costs you, and especially when she's doing nothing to deserve it. I said the same thing to Esther. Esther, I want, I want you to love this man graciously, though it costs you, and it will, especially when he's doing nothing to deserve it. That's what cleaving grace is all about, and that's what Jesus shows, it, shows for us. And I don't mind saying I give, the, I give the greater weight to the husband. It seems like the Apostle Paul does. You know, all of us in this illustration, Jesus is the groom, we're the bride. You know, guys, you just got to deal with it. It's one of those metaphors in Scripture. 
Everyone, man and woman and child, is loved by Jesus, our groom, in this way. And you better believe that's our model for marriage. That's the model for every covenant relationship. Let it cost you while you graciously pour out love for this other person. And don't let go. Folks, my goal is just to say a few things about how men and women, according to Scripture, it seems, are alike and different, and then to show you Jesus. But i got to tell you, there are a thousand sermons here that I won't preach. And as always, at the risk of saying more, you can say less. But whether you're married or not, whether your clinging is to uh, the bride in your marriage, the husband in your marriage, or the bride that is the body of Christ around you, which repeatedly, particularly in the Gospel of John, or the Revelation of John, rather, were called the bride of Christ. Cleave to his people the way he cleaves to you. And this is how our spiritual life perpetuates. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.